Hi, this is Craig. Thank you so much for tuning in today when we get together. As you may have heard many times me say, we are listening to God's message on living the Christian life. How to overcome all of what society throws at us. The minefields, the jungles that we get lost in. What can we do to live out God's call every day? How are we to be Jesus in everyday life, not just go and listen to him on Sundays? Here today, we're going to hear a wonderful message. We're going to hear about a man that God called to be a prophet. God called this man into a very specific need that the Israelites needed to hear about. A man that Ah, he just used one excuse after another. Actually, the excuses he used are are so similar to all of ours that we use when we don't want to follow what God calls us to. But today we're going to see and hear about some of these messages, some of these excuses, forgive me, and the promises that God has said that he is going to take care of it for us. He is going to help us walk through and overcome these silly excuses that we come up with. And the title of today's message, aptly named, The Art of the Excuse. See, we're we're all skillful at the art of making excuses, aren't we? How about like, uh, I don't know how. I don't understand. I couldn't find the right tools. The voices told me to clean all the guns today. I threw out my back bowling. I've got a doctor's appointment, sorry. Uh, Well, there's been a death in the family. Well, the hazmat crew is here, and they won't let me out of my house. I've got a relative, and he's coming all the way from Hawaii. I've got to run down to the airport and pick him up. But one of my all-time favorites that I've heard, now I've never used this one, but I've heard this one. It says, when I got up this morning, I accidentally took two X-lax in addition to my Prozac. I just can't get off the john, but I feel really good about it. Don't know if that's funny or not. I just thought it was kind of comical to throw that in there for us. But in the in the Christian world, we can find all sorts of excuses not to obey God's call, right? Um, it's the preacher's job. It's not my gift. You know, I, I've already served this past month. Let someone else do it this time. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just too busy, or I'm too tired, or too old, or too young, whatever you want to fill in the blank with that one there. But it's been said that excuses are tools of the incompetent, and those who specialize in them seldom go far. Interesting little quote. Ben Franklin, he wrote, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. And a gentleman I have not heard of before, Gabriel Merrier, he stated, He who excuses himself, accuses himself. See, we all make excuses when we really don't want to do something. Especially God's calling, we try to find reasons why we're not good enough, why we can't do it right now, why we don't want to do it. See, this gentleman that we're talking about, his name was Jeremiah. 
And he was called to be a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah 1.5. Not a priest like his father, his grandfather, a prophet was chosen, an authorized spokesman for God who declared God's word to the people. That's what a prophet was. And that's what God was calling Jeremiah to be. An authorized spokesman for God. Declaring God's word to all the people. That's what he was being called to do. Well, what was his excuse? Oh, God, I don't think I can do this. It's This, this task you're asking is just too demanding. Wow, that's a lot of responsibilities. But we often think of prophets as people who can tell the future. But a prophet really spoke messages to the present that had future ramifications. A big difference. They were foretellers more than they were foretellers. Exposing the people's sins, calling them back to their covenant responsibilities before God. That's what they didn't like about the prophets. They were being convicted of their sins. See, being a prophet was much more demanding than serving as a priest. The priest duties were, you know, predictable. Like, you know, everything was written down in the law, and they have a book. And even today you see a lot of priests and pastors and preachers, and they're reading out of a book. The prophet, though, never knew from one day to the next what the Lord would call him to say or to do. The priest, he worked primarily to preserve the past. The prophet, though, he labored. He wanted to change the present so that the nation would have a future. Priests, they dealt with externals, rituals, sacrifices, offerings, you know, services, the day-to-day -day type of thing. Whereas a prophet, he tried to reach out. He tried to change the hearts of the people. Now, the priests... They ministered primarily to individuals that just had a variety of, you know, small needs. But prophets, on the other hand, they addressed the whole nations. <coughs> Excuse me. And usually the people that they were talking to, they didn't want to hear the message. Priests, they belonged to a special tribe and therefore had authority and respect. But a prophet could come from any tribe and had to pr prove his divine calling. Priests were supported from the sacrifice and the offerings of the people. They were taken care of. Prophets, they had no guaranteed income. Now, Jesus too was called to be a prophet. He traveled from place to place, challenging the people to change so that their future in heaven would be guaranteed. Jesus spoke to the hearts of people. And fortunately, most did not accept his message of repentance because they didn't want to change. Just like today. There are so many people. They don't want to change. They like the mess that they're in. Well, God had a promise here. He may assign you a demanding task. But his call. His call keeps us going when we don't want to go. And when we're ready to quit. We are the promise of God's purpose. He says... I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. Now, the verb know has much more meaning than simply being aware of. It carries an idea of recognition of the worth and the purpose of him who's known. See, God knew this man. His name was Jeremiah. He chose Jeremiah. He appointed Jeremiah. 
He was known by his name, handpicked by God, commissioned to serve. Those acts give one a great sense of purpose. The promise of God's purpose allows us to let go of our own plans and to receive God's plan without any fears. Like Jeremiah and Jesus, we need to accept that our future is not our own. We are God's, and he has a distinct plan for you and I and a distinct purpose for our lives. Jeremiah had another excuse. What did he say? I'm not gifted. I'm inadequate. I, I, I can't do this, God. He says, but I protested. Jeremiah says, oh, no, Lord God. Look, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. That's Jeremiah 1.6. He felt inadequate as a public speaker. And by the way, this is the same excuse that Moses shared over in Exodus that I spoke about in a previous message. Calvin Miller is a pastor and an author, and he wrote about his calling. This is what he says. This is what Calvin says. I was so inferior, even the neighbors noted it and pointed it out to my mother as I grew up. Now, in my late teens, one of my sisters felt led of God to help me get in touch with myself by telling me that in her opinion, which was as inerrant as the King James in the Bible, that if God called me to do anything, he must have had a wrong number. What? When I told my preacher that I was called to preach, he didn't necessarily feel that God had the wrong number, but he was concerned that I might have had a poor connection. A lot of doubts, right? That was his calling. He was told he wasn't good enough. He couldn't do it. He must not be hearing from God the right way. See, God has a way to overcome any weakness, and all of our insufficiencies. Right? Doesn't he? Yeah, sure he does. But I have learned over the years that the person most aware of his own inadequacy is usually the person not dependent on God's all-sufficiency. See, my inadequacy has caused me to rely upon God. His strength is made perfect in my own weaknesses. I think Paul said that somewhere in one of his messages, right? And his glory is manifested through my silly flaws. That's what I think. But God, he says, our talent may appear inadequate to us, but God always equips those he calls. We have the promise of God's provision. And then the Lord reached out his hand. He touched my mouth and he told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. Jeremiah 1.9. He's talking to Jeremiah here. The touch was not so much to purify as it was to inspire and empower him. It was a symbolic of the gift of prophecy bestowed on Jeremiah. And Jesus experienced the same touch in a more visible way. Following his baptism, immediately coming out of the water, if you remember the story, the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And God spoke, this is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Matthew 3, verse 17. See, God blesses not the silver-tongued spokesman who can say anything and sell anything, but the one whose tongue has been touched with coals from the altar. That's who he's touching. God uses not the most gifted or the most talented person, but the one touched by the hand of God. 
God uses the most unlikely persons to shake a church or a community or even a nation. Never underestimate the power of the touch, especially when God is doing the touching. <coughs> Excuse me. What else did Jeremiah say? He said, oh, God, you know, that time is just not right for this calling. I, I am only a youth, Jeremiah verse 1.6. The word youth, unfortunately rendered child in some versions of the Bible, ordinarily denotes a young, unmarried man in his teens, maybe early 20s. Most scholars think Jeremiah was around 20 to 25 at the time of his call. And his reply is not so much revealing his age, though, as, as much of a deep sense of immaturity. He felt inferior, inexperienced, and intimidated by the size of the task to which God was summoning him. Have you ever felt that inferior? You're intimidated by the task of the call? Yeah, I have too. See, God's call may come at the most inopportune time. For us, anyway, we might think it's inopportune. But he never sends forth his servants alone. Yeah, remember that. He never sends you out alone. We have the promise of God's presence. Then the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to deliver you. This is the Lord's declaration. Jeremiah 1, verse 7 and 8. Affirming and trying to uh, uh, encourage Jeremiah. Sending him out. This is the Lord's declaration, he said on this calling. Now, note the condition, though, to this promise. Before Jeremiah could experience God's presence, he had to go where God sent him. Speak what God told him and reject all fear. Someone once said that when God calls us to a task, he does not give us a roadmap to follow and then leads us to our own resources. God walks with us. His presence gives us the strength to stand in the face of every assault that's taking place out there. Jesus felt that same presence. He and the Father were one. He could go on because God walked with him. What a difference it makes knowing that when we're being sent out there, someone's going with us. We're not alone. We don't have to walk this lonesome road. We will always have a traveling companion. God, what a better companion to have, right? Only the best for us. See, the Lord did not give Jeremiah a joyful message of deliverance to announce, but a tragic message of judgment. What did Jeremiah say here? Whoa, God, this teaching is too dangerous. My life might be at stake. See, Jeremiah, he's going to be understood, misunderstood. He's going to be persecuted. God's, God's telling him all this. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be imprisoned over this. More than once in his life, he was threatened. Sure he was. Read the book. The people did not want to hear the truth. Just like today, they don't want to hear the truth from us. Jeremiah told them plainly they were defying the Lord, disobeying the Lord, destined for judgment. Now you go out there and try to do that. What do you think they're going to call you? What are they going to say to us? If we go out there and speak like that today, oh my gosh. But remember, we are not doing it alone. God used the image of a boiling pot to communicate his coming wrath. Jeremiah 1.13 says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me inquiring, What do you see? And I replied, I see a boiling pot. 
Its tip tilted from the north to the south. Back in those days, Jewish homes would, they were pretty large, right? They wild wide mouth washing and, and uh, cooking pots they had, very large. They fed a lot of people, it seemed like, all the time. The unusual thing about this pot that Jeremiah saw was that it was not level. It was tilted away from the north. The pot could at any moment spew its boiling contents toward the south, scalding the people of Judah. The pot represented the nation of Babylon that would invade and it would conquer Israel. And the reason for the judgment was Israel's idolatry and rebellion against God's righteous will. That's what Jeremiah is being sent out to call him out on. Jesus' teachings contained mercy and judgment, yeah. It contained grace and punishment, yeah. Jesus' teachings were dangerous, too. In fact, his own teaching cost him his life. But God says, through us, it may be dangerous. Yeah, it's going to be. But God gives us the strength to endure. We have the promise of God's prevailing. Today, I am the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah and its officials, its priests and the population. They will fight against you, but never prevail over you, since I am with you to rescue you. Jeremiah 1. 18 and 19. Now, if you notice the, the, the term here that was used, it was a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls. They are solid. They're unshakable like the God who conceived them and the prophet whom they would come to characterize. God reassured Jeremiah, attack you, they will. Overcome you, they cannot. The person who stands with God will always prevail. Someone once said that one with God is a majority. Alone, we are helpless. Because with God, we always prevail. In the days of the Roman Empire, though, the great Colosseum of Rome was filled with spectators. Don't know if you've ever seen that. I've had the blessing of being over there on a business many years ago. And I went to see and view the Colosseum. It was a spectacular place that is still standing today. Back from biblical times, it's still standing. See these spectators? They're coming for all the state games they used to do there. They're watching all the human beings battle against wild beasts and even battling against one another until one or both or all have died. And the crowd during that time, its greatest delight, believe it or not, in the death of a human being. With the emperor of Rome in AD 404, the vast crowd watched this contest. A Syrian monk by the name of Telemachus leaped under the Colosseum floor. So torn by the utter disregard for the value of human life, he cried out, In the name of God, this thing is not right. In the name of God, this thing must stop. While the spectators, they became enraged at this courageous man. They mocked him and they threw objects at him. They, caught, they were so caught up in the excitement, the gladiators attacked him and a sword pierced him. And the gentle monk fell to the ground, dead. The entire Colosseum fell silent. For the first time, the people, with this insatiable bloodthirst, recognized the horror of what they had called entertainment. 
Telemachus kindled the flame in the hearts and the consciousness of the thinking persons. History records that. Because of his courageous act, within just a few short months, these gladiatorial combats began to decline. And very shortly after that, they were passed on from the scene. They never happened again. Why? Because one man dared to speak out for what he believed was right. His message was dangerous. Yeah, it challenged the pleasure and the enjoyments of the people. Though he died giving his message, it made a difference and it prevailed. God was expecting immediate action, though, from Jeremiah when he called him. Now, get ready, stand up, tell them everything I command you, Jeremiah. 117. But what did he say? Do I have to go now? I'm not ready for this. See, back in Jeremiah's day, all the men, they had to tie their loose ropes together with a belt in order to run or to work. And Jeremiah, he was going to be in for a major struggle with this. He had a fight on his hands. So the phrase, dress yourself for work or Gird up your loins was a metaphor that meant get ready for action. Today, we would say, um, roll up your sleeves. We've heard that phrase, right? Same thing, same thing. God called Jeremiah to act, and he was called to move out among the people. He was called to deliver an offensive message to them. He would not be welcome, nor would he be accepted, and he would anger all those that heard him. See, when, when God calls us, though, he expects obedience immediately, as hard as that is. And I raise my hand, too. It's been hard many times. See, if we don't, we're in danger of God's wrath. And we have the promise of God's power. Do not be intimidated by them, or I will cause you to cower before them. Jeremiah 1.17. Immediate obedience is the only appropriate response when God calls. Jesus obeyed. Now, whatever you think of Jesus, remember this. His heart was a willing and obedient heart. He always did what his father directed. There is no hesitation. There is no question. No circumventing. Only immediate action. No excuses like Jeremiah has. No excuses like we continue to articulate all the time. We are the art of making excuses, just as the title says. As I close here, let me ask you, has God called you into something? If he has, and you're stuttering around and, you know, trying to delay it, he's going to fulfill his purpose in you. But he will equip you. He will enable you. He will protect you. He will be there to accompany you. You have no fears. The question following up, though, is are you obeying these commands? Then he is with you to protect you. Sure he is. Are you sharing the word that he's given you? You should because he will accomplish his purposes no matter how the respond, people respond to you. See, there are so many excuses to not obey. I just gave you a few little samples in the beginning. You can't wait for the right time or the right feeling. You can't blame others or try to rationalize your disobedience. You can't use the opinions of others or the consequences because whatever you say or do are going to have that um, response from those that are listening to you. And it's hard to really say that we're too busy, we're too tired, we're too lazy, we're too young, we're too old. Look at this. 
He's calling him to be a prophet in his early 20s. When we think about it, prophets are, you know, old, old in the views of what many of us have, myself included. How about an excuse that you're attached to uh, too many of your things or you're just too comfortable and you don't want to be inconvenienced? Let me tell you, God has overcome all the excuses given by the prophets, all those in the biblical time, Moses and Jeremiah and everybody else that we read about. He is going to overcome your excuse too. You have no excuse. I have no excuse not to obey if I call God my Lord and Savior. There are no excuses because as we've heard, he is going to be there with us all the step of the way overcoming all the obstacles that the enemy and society tries to throw in our way, he will be there accompanying us all the time. We are never alone in his calling. Lord, thank you for this message. Lord, help us to overcome these silly excuses we try to use not to follow what you're calling us to do. For your call has a purpose in our life and for us to be that purposeful in you. Bless our time. Bless the people listening, and let them receive the message you have for them today. In Jesus' name, amen.